This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Your hosts for this podcast are Robbie Lashua and Tyler Hurley. Robbie is pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church, as well as professor of apologetics, worldview, and ethics at Mission Bible Institute. He is a graduate of Phoenix Seminary, as well as a graduate of the Master's in Christian Apologetics program at Biola University. Tyler is currently earning his undergraduate degree in theology at Grand Canyon University and currently serves as an apologetics intern at Desert Springs Community Church. Hi, welcome to Christ Culture and Coffee. I'm Robbie Lashwell, your host today, and I am with very special guest for this podcast, uh, Eric Johnson. He is with Mormonism Research Ministries. He's written a ton of different books, but I wanted to just let you know about a few that are really important. The newest one that he has uh, put together and been instrumental in, in bringing to us is called Sharing the Good News with Mormons. It's edited by Eric Johnson and Sean McDowell, and it's a great book. I've, I've read a lot of the chapters in it. It's just practical uh, ways that you can share when Mormons come to your door. Really great handbook that every Christian household should have on their shelves. Um, and then he also uh, co-wrote Mormonism 101 with Bill McKeever, who also works with Mormonism Research Ministries. And um, that book, I've used it in youth ministry for kids to understand an in-depth look at what Mormonism is, what they teach, their theology, the differences, techniques on how to share the gospel. Um, But he's also written uh, Mormonism 101 for uh, teens, which is a great book, and it kind of uh, simplifies a few things, and it's very accessible. So uh, I would highly recommend that you go get uh, all three of those books, actually, and um, see the, the knowledge and the wisdom and the the um, the love that, that Eric and Bill both have for the Mormon people. So Eric, it's great to have you here with us today. Thanks for having me on, Robbie. Yep, no problem. So Eric, uh, he spoke at our Deep Faith Conference that we had uh, last Saturday. Um, I know a lot of the students really enjoyed having you there. I talked to a lot of the youth pastors who were really impressed uh, just with what you presented and on how you equipped their students and honestly themselves to share the gospel better with Mormons. So, great. Yep, thanks so much for being a part of that. Uh, well, here on Christ Culture and Coffee, Eric, we always start with a, a coffee tip to share with our, our folks. And we actually have this contest going that if people write in a coffee tip to us and we use it on the air, then we'll send them a Christ Culture and Coffee coffee mug. All right. And so That's we've, yeah. Great prize. It's pretty cool, yeah. It, it's costing me a little more than I thought it would, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but people are really writing in a lot of good tips. Um, but for today, the coffee tip is actually kind of going to be this whole episode because we're dealing with the issue of why don't Mormons drink coffee? Why do people from the LDS church not drink coffee? So there's not really a coffee tip other than what this episode is going to be about. So for all you people out there looking for a new tip or a new trend or new paraphernalia to use for your coffee, you're not having that this episode. <laughs> we're just going straight into this to this topic. Well, I think it's ironic, Robbie, because a coffee tip on a show that's going to be talking about Mormonism is quite uh, the contrast. Because yes. Coffee yes. is not something Latter-day Saints are supposed to drink. Yep. Well, and, and, and a lot of people uh, know that, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of Christians understand that. But there's also some misconceptions about why, where it's come from. And, and a lot of times people think it's they can't drink caffeine, you know. But, but I know Mormons who will drink soda. That has caffeine. And so it's not necessarily caffeine. So can you just kind of unpack where this idea came from, why they follow it, and um, what are all the rules that they need to follow in order to to successfully um, obey what their leaders have said? It's almost like you need a scorecard to follow along. But (laughs) for many years, Latter-day Saints thought it was the caffeine that they were not allowed to drink those caffeinated sodas. So if you went to Utah grocery stores, you would find decaffeinated Cokes and Pepsis and all the rest. Hmm. But no Mountain Dew anywhere. And then just about four or five years ago, the church came out and said, no, you always could drink those things and you're fine to drink those. And so, Hmm. in fact, I was talking to someone recently and their boss drinks Mountain Dew. And so this Christian is like, why is he drinking Mountain Dew? Well, as long as he does it in moderation, it's not against the word of wisdom. Okay, the caffeine's not against it. Well, but at the same time, it kind of is. (laughs) Okay. And And I'll explain what I mean by that because... What they defined as a hot drink 
has been coffee and tea. And when you ask a Latter-day Saint, well, why is it coffee and tea? When the word of wisdom, which I'll talk about here in a second, is going to describe, does not talk about caffeine at all. It just says hmm. hot drink. It comes from the standard works of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. There are four scriptures. Mm -hmm. There's the Bible. The, uh, the Bible is true as far as it's translated correctly is what Joseph Smith said. So they do believe in the King James Version. They have the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. They have Doctrine and Covenants. And they have the Pearl of Great Price. Okay. Well, Doctrine and Covenants are these revelations given to Joseph Smith by God over a co course of about 14 years. And these are teachings that God wanted the people to know through the modern day prophet because when Joseph Smith founds the church in 1830, he teaches that all of the uh, other churches were wrong. They did not have the authority to be able to do what they do because they did not have what's called the priesthood authority. Well, he reestablishes the priesthood authority, founds the church in 1830, and so now you have a modern day prophet with the restored gospel, restoring the priesthood, he now is able to get these revealed uh, ideas from God of mm -hmm. what they're supposed to believe. So Latter-day Saints get most of their unique teachings, not out of the Bible or even the Book of Mormon. They get them out of the Doctrine and Covenants. Now that's an important, uh, that's an important uh, tip for people to understand because when a Mormon comes to your door, they're always pushing, read the Book of Mormon. Right. But within what they believe is authoritative scripture, that's the least offensive Mm. And, and so there's kind of a tactic behind that, right? They want to give you, it's, it's almost like an entry drug type thing of, hey, read this because you're really not going to disagree. Other than it's fictional, you're not going to be super offended by the theology it teaches. Yeah, that's a good point. And just the idea that how you know it's true, you go to the very end of the Book of Mormon in the Book of Moroni, mm. supposedly the last living Nephite who dies in the 5th century AD and returns to meet Joseph Smith in 1823 as, a, as an angel. And that Moroni wrote at the very end of his book, Moroni 10.4, that if, um, if you just take the Book of Mormon and read it, and you pray about it with a sincere heart and true intent, that God will make that known to you that it's true. So what a Latter-day Saint will do, the missionaries at your door will say to you is, read the Book of Mormon, Pray about it and see if it is true. And they have done that, and they have what's called a testimony. Mm -hmm. You bear your testimony by saying that you believe that Joseph Smith is a true prophet, that the current prophet, uh, Russell M. Nelson, is, is the true prophet on the face of the earth. This is the true and living church. And so it's based a lot on emotions mm -hmm. more than just the facts of what is true. In fact, what you'll find in the Doctrine and Covenants contradicts the Bible and the Book of Mormon together. And when you start mm -hmm. to see these things, you say, wait a minute, these four books called the standard works are supposed to be God's revelation to us. Why are they contra contradicting each other as often as they do? Yeah, that's a mess. Yeah. Um, I, I've had, um, I've, I've talked with Mormons about that very idea that their highest epistemology is feelings. Yep. And they don't, they don't go about that in any other aspect of their life. No. They, they need reasons for why they're doing what they do and logic and understanding. And it's, it's just a, it's a phenomenal um, uh, belief that, that I, I believe Satan has tricked them into believing that your feelings are what you need to trust. And even if it goes against reason and logic, who cares? Because you had an experience internally and that's the highest way you can know something's true. Jeremiah 29 says the heart is deceptively wicked. Who can understand <laughs> exactly, it? Exactly. Yep. So when we understand the importance of prayer, don't get me wrong, I think that prayer is very important, but mm -hmm. done in the wrong way, I think it can be very uh, wrong and even sinful. To pray about whether I should steal a neighbor's car, it sounds stupid <laughs> when you think about it that yeah. way. Well, why would I pray about a religion? And the verses that are used, such as Moroni 10 or James chapter 1, verse 5, the verse that Joseph Smith said he used mm -hmm. to determine which of all the churches was true, is not a very good test. When the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 21, to test everything. Yes. 1 John 4, 1, test the spirits to see if they are uh, from God because yep. many false prophets have gone out into the world. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says that these false prophets are going to be like wolves dressing up in sheep's clothing. So trusting your feelings uh, over this book that you write is pretty much innocuous in many ways. It's mm -hmm. actually written as if it were done by a 
um, a, a confused Protestant rather mm -hmm. than a cult leader, somebody who's going to put in opposite ideas. But then you go to the Doctrine and Covenants and you find a lot of things like in D&C section 132 that God has a body of flesh and blood. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Section 130 verse 22 is what it is. I mean, when you come to that, Joseph Smith transformed his theology from the time he started the church until the 1840s. He ends up dying in 1844 mm -hmm. in a gun battle in Carthage, Illinois, when he was in the jail there. But during those last few years, he had a number of revelations that were contrary to what the Book of Mormon and the Bible were teaching. Yeah, and that's that's what you see a lot of times with cult leaders is that they they start off pretty vanilla, and then their theology develops into something really crazy after they've gained a following of people with the innocuous stuff. Right. And that's what we see with, with Joseph Smith. So it's, it's just important for people to understand that the Book of Mormon is not where Mormons are getting most of their theology from. They're getting it from the DNC and from the Pearl of Great Price. And also from their leaders teaching yes. them things as well. And they have general conference twice a year. It's an extended scripture, so to speak, what these men say the top leaders, the president and his two counselors, known as the First Presidency. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you have 12 apostles and you have a group of men called the 70s. Those men, when they speak authoritatively at a general conference, first weekends of April and October, that is to be studied and learned. And so you don't get a whole lot new coming out of those, but you do have some nuances and there are changes of things mm -hmm. uh, that are stressed. And the way that the older leaders used to tell the truth is different than the way these newer leaders they're very couched in the way they present things and you have to read into some of the things that they say but they're still teaching the same thing coming from mainly from the doctrine and covenants mm -hmm. and that's what in, in the doctrine and covenants this word of wisdom is later revealed truth to joseph smith and that's where this idea of of hot drinks and coffee specifically is, is banned for Mormons. Yeah. So let's look into that. What exactly is this? How did this revelation come about? And, and what does it say? And what do Mormons believe it say? Well, it starts off, uh, section 89 has a little explanation of what it is. And this is what it reads in their scripture. Revelation given through Joseph Smith. That's an important word, revelation. Mm. The prophet at Kirtland, Ohio. This is where they were, February 27th, 1833. After they left New York, they went to Ohio. As a consequence of the early brethren using tobacco in their meetings, the prophet was led to ponder upon the matter. Consequently, he inquired of the Lord concerning it. This revelation known as the word of wisdom was the result. Now, let me give you a little background to that. Okay. Emma Smith was his wife. Mm -hmm. She was getting tired when the men were in church. They were spitting tobacco okay. and making a mess of everything. And she wanted Joseph Smith to come up with a revelation that would take away this mess <laughs> of having to clean at their home. They were spitting and they missed the spittoon, whatever sure. they were spitting into. So he didn't like that, but his wife kept nagging him is how the story goes. So he ends up having a revelation, but conveniently, but revelation, yeah. but here's what he does. She does. She loves tea. So he goes ahead and not only has a revelation against tobacco, but also against hot drinks. Oh my gosh. And takes away wow. the ability for her to enjoy her hot cup of tea. <laughs> a little vindictive. Well, little, yeah. Take it as you will, but that's a, and that I'm not making that up. That's actual history, and that's very clear okay. what the situation was. So when you want to have a revelation, and it's the circumstances that are bringing that on, and it's manipulative like that, then is God really speaking or is this just a man who wants things the way that he wants them done? And so uh, a lot of the Doctrine and Covenants mention people's names at the time of what they were supposed to do. And if you don't do this, you're gonna, you're gonna be damned forever. And, wow. and so very manipulative. Seems like a tool, using God's name, thus saith the Lord as a tool to manipulate people to get them to do what you want. Yeah, I think it is. Yeah. And then it starts off, verse 1, a word of wisdom. So that's the name of this revelation. It's okay. a word of wisdom for the benefit of the council of high priests assembled in Kirtland and the church and also the saints in Zion. To be sent greeting, not by commandment or constraint. Notice, not by commandment or constraint. They're not, it's not something God is telling them they have to do. It's just a wisdom rule. Okay, so this shouldn't, this shouldn't be part of the religion necessarily. It shouldn't be based on this. However, the church back in the uh, 100 years ago 
uh, took this and made it a requirement. Before the 1920s, okay. it was not required for you to abide by the word of wisdom to get a temple recommend. All of a sudden it gets put in, I forget the exact year, I think it was 1924, somewhere in that vicinity, and they made it a commandment, exactly opposite of what the church said was supposed to be. Well, isn't that a problem when you have the prophet, Joseph Smith, the founder of the restored church of, right. of Latter-day Saints, and he says, listen, this isn't the commandment, but then a later prophet can trump what he said and say, actually, he was wrong. It is a commandment now. That is a good point, Robbie, and I'm going to say that happens a lot on the way that these leaders teach. I'm going through a book right now written by 10th President Joseph Fielding Smith that actually was a Christmas gift from the First Presidency to the um, leaders of the church a few years ago. And just some of the things that he says, I'm like, wow, they don't believe this anymore. They teach opposite of what he's talking wow. about. And yeah, so as time goes on, the culture takes over. Yeah, there have been a lot of changes in the church. The two biggest changes, of course, would be polygamy. Before mm -hmm. 1890, polygamy was something that you were supposed to do if you wanted to prepare yourself for the very best this religion has to offer called the celestial kingdom yeah. and having as many kids as you could and having as many wives because that was preparation for someday when you would be able to become a god yourself and you'd have these wives who would be bringing in new spirit children to, to make your planet, your world um, uh, more popular, more, okay. more populous, I guess would be the right word. And then in 1978, Spencer Kimball, the uh, 12th president of the church, ended up getting a revelation, not even a revelation, it, it's, it, they never call it a revelation, but allowing those with color to hold the priesthood before 1978. Blacks were not allowed to mm. hold the priesthood, which was necessary to have authority. The authority that God gave back to Joseph Smith in 1829 yeah. when Peter, James, and John came from heaven and laid their hands on him to give him the Melchizedek priesthood. And also um, John the Baptist came out of heaven and baptized Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery in the Susquehanna River. Mm. The, that authority was not allowed to be given to the blacks until 1978. So those are major changes, but there's all kinds of nuanced changes as you study the teachings from old mm -hmm. and the way that these leaders would oftentimes bluntly say things versus here in the, whenever that was, 1920s, they're saying, well, yeah, it does say not by commandment or constraint, but let's make that a commandment necessary. That, that is so interesting. And with those two major changes with polygamy and with, with uh, black people being allowed the priesthood, didn't they write those kind of like as an appendix into the Doctrines and Covenants? It's at the very end of it. But it's it's, it's um, declarations, they call them. Declaration okay. 1, Declaration 2. So everything in Doctrines and Covenants is written by Joseph Smith except those two declarations well no and there's also um uh, um 1918 uh joseph f smith the sixth president got a vision okay about the dead and so he wrote about that i think it's dnc 134 or okay. 135 but at the very end he has a, a a section they call them not chapters he has a section there but uh, for the most part the vast majority was penned by joseph smith except for joseph f smith's part and those two Wow. Uh, declarations interesting it's always uh it should always be a uh, it should always bring you pause when any group is adding to the scripture progressively as they continue on especially when it's counteracting what previous supposed prophets had said but so. these leaders do get revelations even today mm -hmm. in fact in uh, in september or actually it was august of 2018 the current president Russell M. Nelson says that God impressed upon his mind and it was considered to be a revelation mm. that we're no longer supposed to call the church LDS, Mormon, or Mormonism and that God clearly mm. told him of the rules of that. So, okay. I mean, they're still receiving these things. For years, not only did the membership, but the uh, leaders themselves were using the terms Mormon yeah. and Mormonism and LDS we had a choir, they've changed the name now, Mormon Tabernacle Choir. They had a campaign called I Am a Mormon and so mm -hmm. much more where uh, I mean, all these leaders, if God was offended, which is what Nelson said, yeah. you just have to wonder uh, why, why didn't he mention that earlier to somebody to make that change years ago before they were doing these offensive things. Yeah, when I was in Salt Lake City, I went to a, a movie called Meet the Mormons. Yes. That was put on by right. the Mormon church. They had right. no problem calling themselves no. that. So interesting. Okay, so so with the word of wisdom, Joseph Smith gets this supposed revelation, but he says it's not to be a command, 
Um, but what does it say? What, what's the gist of it? Well, you have to read through. It has okay. a lot of verses. And if you wanted to go to the internet, for those of you listening, you can just type in Doctrine and Covenants 89, and it will take you on a site, uh, probably the LDS.org. Interesting. They still call it LDS.org, and they still call it <laughs> Mormon.org. Well, I thought it was offensive to God. They're still using that. Yep. But maybe they're going to make those changes a little later. But I'm looking right now at LDS.org, verse 5. I'm just going to skip a few verses because it's kind of... I'm going to be honest, a little boring. Sure. But now we're going to get to some good parts. Verse 5, that inasmuch as any man drinketh wine or strong drink among you, behold, it is not good, neither meat in the sight of your father, only in assembling yourself together to offer up your sacraments before him. And uh, in fact, the Mormons have what's called the sacrament service where they every... Uh, Sunday they will take bread and water. It used to be wine mm-hmm. and bread, and they changed it. And I think it's because, because of, of the word of wisdom. Because of the word of wisdom. But okay. it says, Behold, this should be wine, yea, pure wine of the grape of your vine of your own make. So here in verse 6, it's saying that you should take your sacrament and you should use wine. That's why for many, many years the church mm-hmm. used wine till later they decided to change. So it, your point is very good when you say, Wait a minute. This is what God was saying. Why would you change it? Yeah. Then it says, so So we're talking about wine and strong drinks like whiskey. And back in those days, they would make cactus whiskey and other things. Oh, Here sure. in Arizona or in Utah where I'm at, that was a very popular thing that Mormons would make. Yeah. Verse 7, strong drinks are not for the belly, but for the washing of your bodies. Now, Robbie, let me ask you this question. When's the last time you talked to a Mormon who smelled like whiskey? Never. Because this says he was supposed to use this to clean themselves. Now, Latter-day Saints today say, well, that was back in the 19th century. I think it would be pretty expensive to wash yourself, and even <laughs> back in those days. It took a lot of work to make whiskey. Yeah. And, uh, but here it says strong drinks are not for the belly. You're not supposed to consume it, but you're supposed to wash in it. Wash in it. Why is water not the preferred method? It's very odd. It doesn't say anything about that, but uh, it just says for the washing of your bodies, okay. strong drink. Verse 8, again, tobacco is not for the body, neither for the belly, and is not good for man, but is an herb for bruises and all sick cattle to be used with judgment and skill. According to verse 8, God says you're supposed to take tobacco, and if you have a bruise, or like on the cattle, for instance, they're sick, you can use that tobacco and it will help restore them. Now, there have been some stories we've heard where farmers have used tobacco to get their cattle back to the right kind of uh, uh, health shape. Yeah. But, uh, it's mean, not, doctors don't use tobacco. I've never heard, dress oh, I've got a bruise, let me take, let me put some tobacco on that, that's going to help that, no. or for the sick cattle. But that's what God is saying. We've got to assume if the Doctrine and Covenants is true, mm-hmm. as a Latter-day Saint thinks so, why isn't the Latter-day Saint using tobacco and having some of that in the house when somebody ends up getting a bruise or if they have a dog that you know gets hurt maybe they'll put some tobacco on there so it's like they're not following all of it they're just following bits and pieces of it right Hmm. and then uh and then it says in verse 12 uh, uh, flesh also a beast and of the fowls of the air so the beasts are the animals and the fowls of the air i the lord have ordained for the use of man with thanksgiving so we're allowed to eat birds and animals according to God here, although we certainly have that in the Bible. Yeah, that's not new revelation. We've known that for a while. Right. (laughs) But nevertheless, they are to be used sparingly. So the meat is supposed to be used sparingly. Now, if you have a vegan out there or a vegetarian, they're going, well, good for them, you know, that they're not eating meat. But listen to what it says. It is pleasing unto me. Who's the me? It's referring to Jesus. Yeah. That they should not be used only in times of winter or of cold or famine. So winter, cold, famine. Wait, meat should be eaten only, only during those times. Now, winter, cold, winter cold. means that it's going to be cold. Now, you in Arizona, I don't know what you guys think is cold. Maybe below because, seventy degrees. Below yeah. seventy. <laughs> so maybe that's where they pull out the barbecue. But let me ask you: a lot of Latter Day Saints live here in in Phoenix on July Fourth. Doesn't it smell like a barbecue pit in the yeah. entire place? They and, invite us to barbecues. I've had them invite yeah. my youth group to barbecues during the summer where they're cooking meat. So if God is saying not to eat meat but sparingly and only to do it in certain times, and yet you're going to pull other parts out of the same revelation we haven't gotten to yet, mm-hmm. and you're going to use that to say, "Well, there you go. We, I'm a follower of the Word of Wisdom." Are you really a follower of the Word of Wisdom? If you're eating meat 
on a regular basis. No. Uh, certainly meat is allowed, but um, it's not something that they're supposed to use all the time. Yeah, cold, famine, or what was the other one? Uh, cold, or winter. Pan, uh, famine, or winter. Okay. So yeah, famine, no. we haven't had that for a while. Yeah. Uh, cold. I don't think. Uh, I don't think sixty degrees is cold. I'm from Utah, and I think no. that's a pretty nice degree. And uh, but uh, I've, know, I've taken. I, I, I've developed some relationships with Mormon missionaries, and I've taken them out to Payway for lunch, and they get meat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that they're, right? They're not. Fa- yeah. I mean, they they're not getting the vegetarian meals. You know, here in Phoenix during the summer and the spring, I've, I've taken these guys out, and so yeah, they don't they don't follow that. It's not even on the radar. Yeah, and, and, and that's not something that uh, most Latter-day Saints are going to be following. Mm. But there's one part in here, and now I can, let me find it here. Uh, verse 9, I, I kind of skipped past that, but this is where I wanted to get to. Okay. And this is all it says regarding the hot drinks. Verse 9, again, hot drinks are not for the body or belly. So you're not supposed to wash in hot drinks. You're not supposed to drink them. Okay. It does not say coffee it does not say tea. Now, it has been interpreted, as, as I just showed you earlier, that uh, that is how most Latter-day Saints will hold that, well, there's caffeine in those things. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you this question, Robbie. If you go to the Mesa pageant yeah, uh, Christmas, uh, not Christmas time, I think they have something that's minor. They have a major thing um, in, in March or April at the Jesus of Christ pageant. For Easter, yeah. But in Temple Square, it's very much the same kind of atmosphere. At Christmas time, it's a big festival. They have these lights up, people come. And I actually go down there and do evangelism. I dress up as Buddy the Elf. My friend dresses <laughs> up as Santa Claus. We go out there and hand out million-dollar bills with our picture on it and act like crazy fools. We just have so much fun. <laughs> Quoting from the movie Elf, everybody knows the movie Elf. Yeah. And we just have so much fun. We have people waiting in line to take pictures with us. Hmm. Every third person of the thousands of people down there on a Friday or Saturday night have a cup of hot chocolate. Oh, that's a hot drink. So it, well, <laughs> I, in fact, buddy, when they're walking by with that in their hands, oh, there's some warm chocolate in your hands because mm-hmm. we're not allowed to drink hot, you know, so he makes some fun oh, it's with it. warm, that. I see. Yeah, it's warm, <laughs> it's not hot. And that's what I've actually had Latter-day Saints. Well, it's not really a hot drink. It's it's cooled down, you know. Oh, my so, goodness. So could you, well, I mean, Latter-day Saints normally won't drink cold coffee, you know, the cold coffee beverages yeah, they cold, have. Yeah, even if it's brewed cold. Yeah, they won't, yeah. They won't drink that, but the hot chocolate... And I, I don't understand, DNC 89.9 is all we have, and yet the, the, the church has very clearly said, if you're disobedient on this, then it's going to cost you your ability to enter into the temple. Now, you have wow. a number of temples here in Arizona. I think you have more temples than any other state besides Utah and California. I think there. I think I've counted seven. I should count it again. Okay. But you just two new ones in the last few years. Yeah. In Gilbert and in, and in Phoenix, to get in there, a Latter Day Saint is asked fourteen or fifteen questions. Do they attend church? Do they associate with people like myself, anti Mormons? They call <laughs> us. Which, if Mormons no longer a word that's allowed, then yeah. I can't be an anti Mormon. You have like to change that. that yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, they have to tithe. And if they don't tithe 10% of their income at the end of the year, they have to pay what's called the tithing settlement to keep that card that allows them to go into the temple, hmm. to go to their child's wedding, or to do work on behalf of the dead, most of the work that's done there. But another question they're asked, do you drink coffee or tea? Not hot drinks. It's coffee or tea they specifically. Them, yeah, hmm. I'm, 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 you know, this idea, it, it's, it's known. It's, they don't ask them about hot chocolate. Yeah, but obviously. they're taking it from DNC eighty nine. I want to read you a couple of quotes, Robbie, that says how serious of a sin this really is. This okay. is sixth president Joseph F. Smith. He's the grandson of Hiram Smith, the the um, brother of Joseph Smith. So direct mm-hmm. connection. He might have been the great great grandchild. I'm not sure, but Joseph F. Smith, very important position, the top position in this church. He says, somebody says. If I am offered a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, I cannot refuse it. Then Smith says, well, then according to the word of the Lord, you are too weak to be a Latter-day Saint. Hmm. And then this is what 10th President Joseph Fielding Smith says. He's, he's a son of Joseph F. Smith, a direct descendant of Hiram Smith. He says, salvation in a cup of tea. You cannot neglect little things. Oh, a cup of tea is such a little thing. 
It is so little. Surely it doesn't amount to much. Surely the Lord will forgive me if I drink a cup of tea. Yes, he will forgive you because he is going to forgive every man who repents. But my brother, my brethren, if you drink coffee or tea or take tobacco, are you letting a cup of tea or a little tobacco stand in the road and bar you from the celestial kingdom of God where you might otherwise have received a fullness of, of glory? Robbie, wow. let me tell you how important wow. what he's saying is. What, what he's saying, the celestial kingdom, that's Godhood. Synonymous terms would be exaltation, eternal life. Latter-day Saints know they have to get baptized in the Mormon church. They have to go to regular church services. They have to get married in the temple for this lifetime, but also for all eternity. Mm -hmm. And then you have to keep the commandments continually. DNC 2515. They know what the requirements are. And what he's saying, if you want to go to the celestial kingdom and you're going to have perfect life, you can do everything else right. But this one little sin... Uh, when nobody's looking, you drive through Starbucks because nobody knows I'm doing it. You don't yeah. go into the store because that would be really bad, especially yeah. if you ran into the bishop there, the leader yeah. of your your congregation. But you buy this coffee and then you don't look. You know, you look around, nobody's looking, and you're doing this on the sly. Mm. He says that could cost you and bar you from being able to get to the celestial kingdom. So this wow. is not a minor sin. It's a big it's deal. It's a major sin and would prevent you from from temple entrance that's huge mm -hmm. that's a big deal well and and just the idea of you got to toe the line on these things before we'll even allow you to go to temple to do the work you need to to earn the best your religion can offer you yeah i mean it's it's like there's there's step one you got to do this stuff to get to step two to do the more stuff so that maybe you can attain the best that that you can in in exaltation in the celestial kingdom yeah that's very um cultish i mean it's it's very we're controlling your life um yeah wow so um a couple of mistakes i made when i was in utah one was I, this really actually helped me when we did ministry up there with the students was um because it, it you're surrounded by so many mormons and talking with them and engaging with them it kind of you know you feel the spiritual darkness mm -hmm. and the kids would feel that and so it was interesting because uh a respite we had was if we go to a coffee shop you didn't feel that yeah, <laughs> i know true. that sounds weird yeah but it was it was like we could go and be normal uh because we go to a coffee shop so one of the things in salt lake city we looked for a lot were <laughs> coffee shops we could go to for that reason but when i was on in temple square um you know there's uh the the lion house and the beehive house uh, where Brigham Young lived. Yeah. And um, one of them's like his actual house he lived in, and then the other one is where he ha had many of his wives live. Mm -hmm. It's this really long... Uh, lion house. Yeah, the lion house. It's long. It's got all these different apartments yeah. in it where all of his wives lived. Now it's a restaurant. Yes, and I went into that restaurant, and I wasn't thinking... I wasn't thinking, and I went up to the counter, and you know they had they were selling Coke, Coca Cola, and uh -huh. stuff. And I was I, I just went in, and I said, "Do you guys have coffee?" And I I was not trying to be mean. I just wasn't thinking, yeah. and I really wanted yeah. some. Yeah. And the girl at the counter was so nice, and she's like, "No, you know we don't have coffee here." And I and then it hit me, and I I said, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I was I wasn't trying to be mean. I just." I, I kind of slipped my mind kind of thing. What's interesting for a lot of Utah churches, one of the most popular places in all of the churches, is the place where they're serving the coffee. <laughs> Former Mormons, for whatever reason, I guess maybe because you weren't allowed to do it and now yeah. you've left Mormonism and, you, and now you're a believer and you don't have these same kinds of rules and regulations. And so they serve a lot of coffee in some of these churches. And, and uh, um, just the idea that they have that freedom in Christ to do it because this is one of those freedom issues. If you don't feel like you want to drink coffee or you don't want to drink alcohol, whatever it is, I think that's a freedom issue. The Bible sure. talks about, is it okay to eat meat offered to idols in 1 Corinthians 8 and 10? And I think the answer is yes and no. I mean, if it's not for you, then don't eat it. If yep. it's for you, don't make a big deal about it. Don't cause your brother to stumble. But yep. for a lot of Latter-day Saints, they're like, oh, those pagans that are drinking coffee in their church. And well, that's legalism. And yes. I don't think we as Christians want to be involved in anything that taint is tainted with this legalistic approach that do not handle, do not touch, as Paul wrote about in, in Colossians. Yep. I mean, don't, don't let anybody tell you what you can or can't eat within reason. I mean, certainly alcohol, the Bible has provisions. I mean, if you're gonna drink alcohol, that's something you need to uh, make a decision for yourself, but you 
don't want to get drunk on wine. The Bible yes. talks about that. So you have to make the decision. Some people don't want anything to do with alcohol. Then and that's okay. That's for, that's for you. Yep. That's Don't make it a command, though, for other people. Well, you're drinking hot drinks. Oh, my goodness. Yep. And, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. Yeah, scripture that, says. That's what it says. Yeah. And so, yeah, I agree with that. So that's, that is interesting. I could see it kind of like as a rebellion against Mormonism, but more so as a... I'm exhibiting my freedom in Christ. Galatians, right? It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Galatians is such an important book because mm -hmm. so much of what Mormonism is about rules and regulations, and these are the things, if you want to be considered to be uh, spiritual, holy, whatever you want to call it, uh, to be righteous. That's what a person who enters into the temple is. He's mm -hmm. considered worthy. Yeah. Imagine a little card because you've tithed, because you wear special undergarments, because you go to church. Somehow that's going to make you worthy. Mm -hmm. I think about how Jesus talks about the publican and and, and the, the the sinner. The, uh, you know, the, the one guy is is uh, excuse me, the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee is saying this grandiose prayer and has all the right language, and mm -hmm. it's all me because oh Lord, look at me, kind of a situation. Yeah. Everybody's staring at him, and the other guy's just beating his chest, saying, uh, "Oh, I'm not worthy. I, I'm a sinner." And which one went to the temple justified? But a Latter Day Saint has to have this worthiness factor to be able to be able to go to the very best this religion has to offer. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you, Robbie, the current leadership in the last years even continues to hold very steadfast to this teaching. It's not going to go away. Let me yeah. read to you from a six-year-old girl, Catherine C. Madeline, and it, the title of this article in a Mormon magazine for, teen, for young people is called The Friend. It says, saying no to tea. That's the name of this article. December 2008, page 31. This is just a decade ago. Here's what she said. My school friend invited me to her birthday party. It was fun. We played games and dressed up like princesses. Six years old. Okay. When it was time for dessert, we all gathered around the table for beautifully decorated cupcakes. As I was eating my cupcake, I was offered tea to drink. All the other girls were drinking tea in fancy little cups, but I knew it was wrong to drink it. I said, no, thank you. I do not drink tea. I felt good inside for keeping the commandments. Wow. What have you just taught this girl? Wow. Legalism. Yep. And here's another quote. This comes from the December 2008 ensign, same month as the friend, but this is a, for adults. This is called The Energy Drink Epidemic. Thomas J. Bound wrote this. He says, while we are counseled against taking addictive substances or harmful drugs, the word of wisdom does not specifically prohibit caffeine. However, I believe that if we follow the spirit of the word of wisdom, we will be very careful about what we consume, particularly any substance that can have a negative impact on our bodies. This is true regarding any drug, substance, or even food that may be damaging to one's health. This includes caffeine. Hmm. Now, I mentioned earlier that today, Latter-day Saints do drink caffeinated drinks. They're yeah. allowed to do that. But do you see what has just happened here? He's taken the word of wisdom which says you're not supposed to eat meat except in times of famine, winter, cold. Mm -hmm. you're, you're not supposed to drink hot drinks. Just generic kinds of things. Now he's turned it into, well, the word of wisdom just basically says you need to live healthfully. Healthfully. Is that a word? Uh, <laughs> to live healthful lives is what, we, uh, is what we're being told uh -huh. in what he's saying here. Well, I as a Christian certainly believe the principle of living healthy lives is important. Yes. But... I am not going to point to a particular passage that says, well, I shouldn't drink energy drinks because this one verse says not to. Obviously, no. you got to take the overall principle. But I don't think the word of wisdom was giving us just a health kind of uh, provision. It was saying, here are the things you're not supposed to do. Yeah, thus saith the Lord. Like, these are a big deal. A lot of Latter-day Saints wrongly think that Joseph Smith was unique in teaching about tobacco as being bad for the body. Okay. But we have to understand at the time he's writing this in 1833, there are lots of news reports back in those days at that time where they were saying tobacco was not good. Way hmm. before they determined, you know, the nicotine and all of the yeah. different, they, they knew there was something wrong with it back then. Interesting. Joseph Smith took the common understanding of his day and he incorporated it 
And so a lot of people think, well, he was so unique. Only God gave him the idea that smoking and, no. al- and tobacco <laughs> was wrong. And the fact is, no, a lot of people knew. It just wasn't a real general acceptance until probably, let's say, the 1980s or 1990s when yeah. we fully understood with all the science we had. But uh, That's true. But- well, And it's interesting, too, with that guy talking about energy drinks because – this and this isn't just a Mormon issue because um, the Mormons believe you have to work for your salvation. So, right. But but as Christians, I see a lot of times legalism will sneak in, and what happens is, in order not to break something God has said is wrong, they'll make other rules up to keep you away from even getting close to breaking those rules. And so there are denominations, you know, who who believe that alcohol is wrong. And, and, and it's, you know, getting drunk's wrong, but Jesus drank wine. I mean, there's actually um, uh, a statement in Deuteronomy that talks about use your tithe money to buy wine and what other, other fermented drinks you like to celebrate what the Lord's doing. Yeah. And so um, it's not about drinking alcohol. It's about getting drunk. But people say, well, in order not to get drunk, if you never drink it, you can't get drunk. Therefore, we're going to make you can't drink it a rule. And that's what legalism is, is making rules to keep you from breaking rules. And that's what's going on in Mormonism, is they're making up these extra things that even their prophet didn't say to do. Let me give you another thing here, Robbie. The current uh, teachings from this church, Mm -hmm. they have what are called manuals. These are teaching manuals that are correlated curriculum. They have been vetted by the First Presidency as something that the official word, so to speak, of the church for what they believe. 2009 Gospel Principles, a very common manual that's used. It says, the flesh of birds and animals is also provided for our food. However, we should eat meat sparingly. Fish is also good for us to eat. So here, Hmm. the current manual is saying you're supposed to eat meat sparingly. Now, the definition of sparingly is going to be up for grabs. What does that mean? Once a week? Once a month? Once a day? Is it once a day? (laughs) Then... There's another manual called the Doctrine and Covenant Student Manual, Religion 324-325, and this is from 2001, not very okay. long ago. They're going to go through each of the parts of D&C, so they go through these verses. I'm just going to hit a couple of the points. D&C 89.7, strong drinks are for the washing of body. They're taking it out of that verse. Mm-hmm. This is what it says. Alcohol is a valuable cleansing agent for wounds and abrasions. When used to bathe an injured part of the body, alcohol performs a service for which it was intended. So they're saying you should be using alcohol to, now I guess maybe you could say rubbing alcohol, but that's not the same kind of alcohol that's that's being talked about That's not the same as dumping whiskey on your wound. How many Latter-day Saints are doing that? Or how about, it writes to D&C 89.8, tobacco is a herb for bruises and all sick cattle. As I read to you earlier, this is what it says. Tobacco, like alcohol, possesses medicinal properties for use on sick animals. When applied with skill, a tobacco putless uh, can be useful in healing the cuts and bruises of cattle. Alcohol and tobacco have placed have place when used as the Lord intended. I asked a farmer one time, "Do you ever use tobacco to you know any wounds <laughs> on your animals?" He goes, "He's never. Uh, he's heard of other people doing it, but he's never done it." Yeah. And then uh, one more, DMC eighty nine thirteen. Only in times of winter or of cold or famine. This is their explanation. So for this that. is like a commentary this on that. This is their that. commentary okay. on these verses. This is for students. This is for People who are, I think, high school students. Okay, to explain what the DNC means. So you understand what it means. This verse has caused some to ask if meat should be eaten in the summer. Meat has more calories than fruits and vegetables, which some individuals may need fewer of in the summer than winter. Also, before fruits and vegetables could be preserved, people often did not have enough other food to eat in the winter. Spoiled meat can be fatal if eaten, and in former times, meat spoiled more readily in summer than winter. Modern methods of refrigeration now make it possible to preserve meat in any season. The key word with respect to the use of meat is sparingly. Mm. Do you see what they just did? Yeah, they're, well, they're back, saying that was a cultural issue. Yeah. yeah. Back in those days, it was uh, people could get sick, and, and it was more calories. They didn't want to gain too much weight. Mm-hmm. Well, why wouldn't that apply to us today? If meat has more calories, yeah. we shouldn't be eating it. You know, very much at all. Or why can't I just write off the hot drinks portion as that too? Yeah, well, back then, you know, it wasn't good to drink that because it made you sweat more and you lose, you know, yeah. your electrolytes. And the, I mean, you, you, yeah, that's interesting. It's kind of playing fast and loose with the text. I think you're exactly right. Taking that part that they think still applies, well, mm-hmm. why doesn't the sparingly for me apply? 
Why doesn't taking alcohol and bathing in it apply? Why yeah. doesn't taking tobacco and putting it on your sick animals apply? They, mm-hmm. they only take a portion of it. But unless you read it, and most people who are not Latter-day Saints have never seen DNC 89. I, I sure. encourage you to read it for yourself and tell me if what I'm saying is wrong. Yeah, that's. I think that's a great point. I would encourage you too to go online, look it up, and um, and just see what Joseph Smith said, and then see how they're interpreting it because it is it's it's very different than what's what's being practiced nowadays in Mormonism. Um, now, j- practically, so when I'm talking with Mormons, I try to be conscious of this, like because mm-hmm. I like coffee a lot mm-hmm. and I drink coffee a lot. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't invite them to go to Starbucks to right. meet with me, and um, if they're in my house, I don't make coffee and drink it in front of them. Is that, I mean, would they be super offended if I did? I just kind of think I'm, I'm, I'm trying to clear ways of any type of a, uh, anything that would be a barrier to them hearing what I'm saying about the, the true gospel. The Bible says that we're supposed to be hospitable, mm-hmm. that we need to be kind, that we need to be loving, and it would be, I think, the same way if somebody were to invite you to their house knowing you were a Christian and say, Hey, I have some whiskey. Would you like a drink? Sure. And, you know, well, no. Whether or not you believe, I'm not saying it's wrong to drink whiskey, but for most of us, we're going to be a little uncomfortable pulling out a whiskey with somebody that probably isn't even a believer because Mm -hmm. you're just going to fit into the culture there. I I think that uh, you're doing the right thing because if you're going to have a Latter-day Saint come over to your house or you're going to have them go meet somewhere... They're going to feel uncomfortable in a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Why would I want to offer them something that, if you have the understanding and knowledge, knowing that they're not supposed to do it, whether or not they're actually following following DNC eighty nine, like we're, we've just read, I don't think that the word of wisdom really does. But they think that drinking that coffee or tea, well, I just read to you from one prophet who said that could keep you out of the celestial kingdom. Yeah, I'm not going to put that in their way. I don't want them to stumble. I'd rather do whatever I can to be as hospitable as possible so we might be able to talk about real issues yes. and get to the heart of the matter and not let these... See, this is a, t- a talk we've just had here. I probably would not get into with the Latter-day saying, hey, let's open up DNC 89 so I can show you how I don't think you're really following the, the word of wisdom. Well, I'd that, rather talk yeah. about salvation or yeah, Jesus. This is, this is an issue that even if they get convinced that we're right, what does it get them? Right. They're still believing in a false Jesus. They're still believing in a false gospel. So yeah, when, when you're talking with a Mormon, keep the main thing the main thing. Don't try to get into holy underwear. Don't get into temple ritual. Don't get right. into the word of wisdom. Talk about who's Jesus and what is the gospel. That's that's the main issue. That's what we're trying to help them to see the truth in. Because um, convincing them that these other things are, are, you know, if they came over to our side on them, it doesn't do anything for their eternal security. So My favorite tactic that I use, and I talk about this in our book, Sharing the Good News with Mormons, that you mentioned earlier, is the Miracle of Forgiveness Approach. This is a book written by 12th President Spencer Kimball. Mm. And this book is all about what you have to do in order to attain salvation. You have to basically keep all the commandments all the time. That's what he says. He <laughs> How says, can you do that? Well, he says, uh, God says it's possible in First Nephi 3.7 in the Book of Mormon. God doesn't give any commandments that can't be kept. And mm-hmm. he says, this life is the time. He thinks that it's possible to do in this life. And, uh, and he says, perfection is an achievable goal. He says, trying is not sufficient, nor is repentance complete when one merely tries to abandon sin. To try is weak. To do the best you can is not strong. You must always do better than you can. And so when you talk to a Latter-day Saint and ask them, are you doing all you can? They would say, no, but I'm trying. I'm doing my best. They they realize it's a vicious, vicious circle. Mm -hmm. And I'd rather get, if I only have five or ten minutes or an hour, I'd rather talk about, so what are the things that your religion says you have to do and how are you doing at that and deal with the main issues Mm -hmm. Dealing with this is nothing I have ever done at length with the Latter-day Saint. We'll talk yeah. for a couple minutes maybe on it, but then I always like to say, so, you know, what's your view of God and who he is? Asking them questions, not telling them what they believe, I mm-hmm. think is so very important. And understanding what you believe, and for those who are listening here, you cannot do evangelism effectively with the Latter-day Saint if you don't really understand your own view. Yes, and yes. when the Trinity comes up, you go, well, I'm going to hum and a hum. You don't really know how to explain that. You did a great job, by the way, the other day explaining mm. this. Uh, very important doctrine. You better know this if you're going to talk to a Latter-day Saint. But you can't just know Christianity. You also have to understand the basic worldview and the presuppositions that a Latter-day Saint has yeah. so that you could ask the right kinds of questions 
let them tell you what they believe and then be able to ask questions on top of that. Mm-hmm. Put them in the, in the ball field of being on the defensive. You ask the questions, direct the conversation, and direct it to a way that could possibly have results if you change their mind. And as you mentioned earlier, if you, if you convince them that, yes, they can drink coffee, what are you going to make them do? They're now going to go through Starbucks, privately look around to see if anybody's looking, and they're going to be drinking their coffee thinking, well, I guess that's okay. Yeah. But their leaders, if they find out, they'll be barred from going to the temple. So what have you just done? You put them in a precarious position. Yep, that's true. I like one of the things you said, I think is really important. And I've said this so many times. um, You got to know what you believe, but you also need to know what they believe. It's a loving thing to do to study Mormonism so you can help them see the differences. And I'm sure you've heard it before. There's, I, I've heard this from so many different pastors. They'll say, you know, when you're studying counterfeit bills, you don't study the counterfeit. You just study the original artifact, and then you can spot a counterfeit. Right. And I always say, yeah, sure, but I'm not just trying to spot a counterfeit religion. I'm trying to help the people who believe in the counterfeit to understand the differences. So it's not just about spotting it. It's about being able to dissect it with them and show them the differences. So you do need to study the counterfeit in order to love them well. Listen, the Secret Service spends much more time studying the counterfeits than they do the original. I mean, there are tests they can give to the original. They know those tests. They learned that the first week of basic Secret Service school. Yeah. But what do they need to know? What's the latest copying method? How, how, which bills are being used? How are they doing it? Which ink are they doing it? Where are they doing it? You need to know everything. So when they touch a bill and they feel it right away, just by feeling it, without having to put a pen to it, without having to look in the light, yep. they know it's a, the false thing. And we as Christians have been commanded to be professional uh, spotters of false teaching. Yes, we and need to, to take every thought captive and the false philosophies. I mean, right. 2 Corinthians talks about that. Um, that's what we are to do. I think sometimes people will use that as an analogy uh, to be lazy. To say, no, nah, I'm just going to study what I believe. I don't have to study what others. And it's like, no, you, you really, if you're going to love them. If you're going to care about people, you should get into their worldview so you can help them see what's wrong about it and um, and help them see what's true about Christianity. So, And that's what we do at Mormonism Research Ministry. Yes. Our research is our middle name, and we take that very seriously. We spend a lot of time reading their stuff. And I have Christians who say, well, why do you have to read so much of their stuff? Well, not that I'm trying to be edified by it, but I want to be <laughs> accurate. Like when I just went through this in DNC 89, I wanted to be able to show how I have disagreements, but I understand their teaching and I know what their leaders have said and are saying. They still believe in the word of wisdom, even though they may not be following the whole thing, but that gives me an apologetic to be able to ask questions. Well, why why are you drinking hot chocolate? And the answer is, whether it's it's warm chocolate and I have some fun (laughs) as Buddy the Elf, or that, well, it wasn't included. Well, wait a minute, hot chocolate does have caffeine in it. Yeah, that's so true. So why, why would you drink that but not – if I gave you a coffee, you wouldn't take it. Yeah. And, and it's just interesting to see. They've never thought it through. And I think sometimes when we try to approach a Latter-day Saint and try to talk in an intelligent manner, doing it in gentleness and respect, as First mm-hmm. Peter 3.16 says we're supposed to do, speaking the truth in love, as yes. Ephesians 4 says, I think maybe there's something we could – say maybe we don't even know what we're saying but we're doing the best we can and just realize we do the best we can because we're only in sales god's the one in production yes there are no Amen. little notches in our belt like oh i i won that argument if you have that kind of attitude you have pride mm-hmm. and we have to check ourselves in this ministry well yeah i bested him i'm not trying to make the mormon look bad i just want i want them so badly to be able to have a relationship with jesus and sometimes it's going to make me. It's going to require me to go into, like I just did here. And maybe they think uh, Latter Day Saint will think, well, you're mocking it. I'm not mocking it at all. I'm just saying, yeah. well, if you're going to believe the D and C eighty nine actually came from God, the word of wisdom is true, then why aren't you following the whole thing? Yeah. Well, and, and giving those those you know like Greg Kokel says, just putting a pebble in their shoe, yep. planting seeds of doubt in their mind, because because they're not going to just. Typically, people don't just convert because I have a 10-minute conversation with them. Right. They need to think about it, and they need to check into things for themselves. That's how all of us work. And so being able to put those seeds of doubt into their mind about what they believe and ask questions in a loving way. Um, and the goal of apologetics, and, I, and I've seen this done so poorly, and it breaks my heart. The goal isn't to win arguments. It's so easy. 
it's so easy to win arguments when you have the truth on your side. Yeah. You've got the truth. <laughs> right. So you can point out the false. It's easy to win arguments. But we're in the business of trying to win people. Amen. It's a very different thing. And so your character comes into play on that. Your approach comes into play onto that. It's not just about the knowledge and the argument you have. And so uh, as believers, we need to study. We need to know the knowledge. But we also need to be representatives of who Jesus was in our character mm-hmm. because we're trying to win people, not just win arguments. Uh, you, you preach, you're preaching to the choir here because, <laughs> man, oh, man. And hopefully people who are listening will understand what you're saying is very wise. Yep. Because I think when you get involved in evangelism, I think initially everybody, myself included, well, I'm going to... I'd like to debate that person. I can win arguments. Mm-hmm. Well, you might be a good debater, and you might be a horrible evangelist. Yes. Yeah, and it doesn't matter. That's not the job. The job's not to debate. The job is to tell people who Jesus is and help them see the light. So, well, Eric, this has been really fun. Um, I like I like talking with you, man. If you're out there and you want to know more about Mormonism, go to mrm.org. They have so many articles. They have links to LDS material. Um, so many different things. That weekly or a daily radio show that you guys yep, do. We do a podcast. Yep. And so you guys can um, really gain a ton of wisdom from uh, Eric and from Bill who, who work up there and I can't highly recommend them more uh, more to you. So also check out uh, their books, uh, Sharing the Good News with Mormons by Eric Johnson and edited by Eric Johnson and uh, Sean McDowell. And then also Mormonism 101 is just, I mean, if you want to really get into what it is and the history and what they believe, there's not a better book on the market for that. So we'll put uh, links to all of those books in uh, the show notes so you guys can have that. One other book. Yeah. And- Three Mormons questions. We wrote oh, yeah. that in 2013. And if you are having conversations with Latter day Saint, I guarantee you the top 38 questions, when you're being asked those questions, mm-hmm. they're in there. And then we've explained how you can go about answering them in an intelligent way. So that's been a really helpful book, especially for those who are in the midst of conversations. Yes. And that, that book, actually, I, had, I have a few copies of that book. And um, I was engaging with these two Mormon missionaries. Uh, we probably met 12 or 15 times doing various things. And um, I asked them, hey, if I gave you a book, you know, would you guys be able to read it? And they said, well, we can't read it while we're on our mission. We're not allowed to read any anti-Mormon stuff. But we'll read it when we go home. And so one of them, it was our last time to meet before he moved back to Idaho. And I said, will you, will you really read this book if I give it to you? And he said, yes, I would love to read it. I can't read it you know, until I go home next week, but I will read it. And then he had me sign your book. <laughs> and I said, I didn't write this. And he said, I know, but I, you know, it's from you. It's a gift from you, so I'd like you to sign it. Well, maybe it. someday I'll run into him, and then I can sign it too. You right, never know. Right yeah. underneath your signature. <laughs> but let me tell you something real fast about this, Robbie, because in the 1990s, Bill printed that book originally in, uh, was it... Um, 1981, the first time. It was a homemade edition. 1990, Bethany House printed it. And I know for a fact in California that they were distributing our book to the LDS missionaries. And the way I know that is we had missionaries telling us that. But also, Hmm. this is in Southern California where Bill and I live. But in Northern California, I had a friend. His name is Dave. He uh, served under Jeffrey Holland, mission president. He's now an apostle, Jeffrey Holland. Jeffrey Holland personally handed him a copy of that as well as a book against the Godmakers, a movie that was made years ago, Mm -hmm. and made them read these things. Later, my friend Dave, when he left the the mission field, he ended up becoming an atheist. He he, He had real doubts because of one verse that a Christian gave him in a restaurant, D&C 82.7, which says that all your former sins come back to you if you send that same sin again. It's a mm-hmm. horrible verse. And this friend of mine gave him that verse. It caused him to leave the church. And then later, after he became an atheist, he becomes a Christian. So when I wow. met him, uh, and I've helped disciple this man for the last eight years, uh, and he found out I worked with Bill McKeever. He says, I read his book on my mission. You, you know Bill McKeever? And I said, <laughs> yes. He said, that book caused me such consternation. He said, <laughs> he said because I was being told to read the book, and the answers he was giving sounded good to wow. me. And wow. so he said the conversation he had with this guy, the reading this book, they were wanting, because all the Christians in Northern California were using this book, and so mm-hmm. they wanted them to know the enemy's 
handbook. I yeah, think sure. it's a smart idea. Yeah. But but at the same time, he didn't he wasn't being given any information on, on how to counter what Bill was saying. Wow. And so he says, so basically I was stuck here. That was another reason he said. And so he was so happy when he met Bill. And I'll have to tell you a quick story. We, uh, first time we met, we met at a fast food place. And so Bill and I drive up in Bill's 1992 Toyota truck, mm-hmm. old truck. And uh, my friend Dave is looking out through the window. So when we walk in and sit down, Dave gets up and says, is that your truck? And, uh, and, I, and Bill said, yeah, that's my truck. He says, well, where's your Mercedes? He said, they said you had a Mercedes and you lived in a million dollar house. What? And when I showed Dave, when we went to California, uh, I took him to California one time with me and I showed him where Bill lived and he saw Bill's house and it's a three bedroom, two bath, uh, 1100 square foot house that Bill lived in. It is worth a lot of money because it's in California, but at the the time, and, and they had been telling them that the reason that Bill wrote the book was to make money. And to and so wow. to disparage to taint the, uh, the the effort there. So a lot of the people would say, "Well, obviously he did this to make money, so he can't be right." So anyway, yeah. just this interesting story about that book answering Mormon's questions. It caused that one missionary problems. We're hoping it caused a bunch of others. We reprinted Absolutely. it in 2013. We totally rewrote it. Mm-hmm. We added a lot of things, made it current. Uh, that's done by uh, Kriegel, but uh, yeah, anyway, that's, that's available. The, that's as well. the edition I have, and so yeah. yeah, I'm praying that it does the same thing with my friend Josh up in Idaho. That he that he'll read it and he'll actually think through it, um, and it helped me in talking with them because yeah, they have they always have similar questions. Why why does clergy get paid? You know, why yeah. do they have these same questions? And they you did. guys go through that in the book. So great resource for people to have. So Thank we'll, you. we'll have links for all of that uh, in the show notes. We'll have links to your website in the show notes. But Eric, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and explaining to us why Mormons don't drink coffee. <laughs> thank you. It was my pleasure, Robbie. God bless you. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, thanks for being with us today on Christ, Culture, and Coffee. Our heart here is always to equip Christians to have confidence in what they believe so that you can go out and you can share the good news of Jesus with other people. Thanks for being with us, and we will talk to you next week. You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.